an issue on uh, re with regard to the uh, uh, the election, presidential election on the national level, that uh, that set a lot of people's tongues wagging, and uh, you know just really there were, there was a lot of concern, a lot of uh, you know people were concerned about the the outcome, you know whether or not all the votes would be counted properly. You, you remember how uh, how challenging that was, and there were a lot of people who wound up on January the sixth going to uh, Capitol Hill and basically saying, hey, you know, we, we don't like the way the, the election outcome was counted. We think there were some illegalities, some irregularities, and we want to uh, we, we want to challenge the end result on the election. And I think, you know, I, I appreciate the spirit in which that was all uh, approached. I remember that day reading about some of the so-called riots. Uh, people are calling it a siege, an insurrection. Um, I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't know that it was necessarily on the same lines as the Revolutionary War. I uh, made a lot of people on Capitol Hill frustrated and, uh, you know, and, and even fearful. Uh, I believe it was uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez who said she was fearing for her life, uh, not realizing, of course, that all the activity was happening in the, uh, the joint chamber and she was back in her office, uh, you know, quite a good distance away. But, you know, it's interesting how the media has covered this. And I, I you know, I, I have so much respect for the people who were actually there. I know several people who were there at the uh, the rally and the event that happened on January the 6th, 2021. That was the day that Congress was voting to officially ratify the uh, the election results, and which they ultimately did. But there was some concern. Of course, President Trump brought uh, a lot of noise and a lot of heat saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, some of these electorates, uh, the, 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 the electorate, if they will, uh, there, there were some irregularities in states like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Arizona and the like, and these results should not be certified. These aren't the actual delegates who are coming to kind of ceremonially tell everybody in Congress, this is how we vote. I mean, just a cursory knowledge of the Electoral College gives us the idea that, uh, you know, obviously we, we cast our ballots, you know, on the national election, and then the uh, when it comes to the president, um, there's a popular vote, but then there's the Electoral College, the uh, you know, one vote for each member of the Electoral College, which is the five, 535 members of the House and Senate. And whether or not uh, those votes, which are divided evenly, then based, well, not evenly, proportionally uh, throughout the, uh, the the nation. California had 53 votes in 2020. They all 52 votes in uh, 2024 because of the uh, number of people leaving the state. But there were hundreds of thousands of people who went to the White House went to Capitol Hill on January 6th and said, hey, look, we don't think the election should be certified the way the votes were counted. We think there's some funny business going on. And there was a, a, a legal maneuver attempted uh, by the president's office. One of the options he had, John Eastman, who was the attorney who was uh, brought in by the president because his two show attorneys, and I say show attorneys, not uh, diminishing their uh, knowledge of the law, but the president was using uh, former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani and former bottom line contributor Jenna Ellis as attorneys who were really more like spokespeople as opposed to actual attorneys. I mean, they, they showed up at hearings and they gave testimonies and things of that nature. But when it came to the actual uh, legal actions that were being pursued, they weren't the attorneys of record. John Eastman came in and said, OK, well, here's what a draft is going to look like. And here are your possible outcomes. And he discussed them with us here on the bottom line when that was actually released through, I think it was Newsweek and CNN, and they, they, they took issue with uh, one of the original drafts. They only took a couple pieces out of it and said, well, here's what John Eastman says, and that's tyranny, and it's sedition. That's the word they would use. 
And I reached out to John and he reached back and he came on the program. We talked for a half hour. He said, look, here's the original. I mean, I have it on my computer. Uh, now anybody can get it. Uh, th these are the scenarios they said. If for some reason the uh, electoral college for each state has been compromised somehow, and these aren't in fact, you know, they don't have a popular vote that leads to the electoral college vote, then you can challenge those things. But there's a protocol that each state has to go through um, when they're counting their votes. And the, the challenge has to be made by that state's electoral college electorates. And uh, you can't do it on January 6th. You have to do it like within a couple of weeks after the national election is over. So that was an option that was discussed, but it really wasn't a viable one. I think it was a Hail Mary for President Trump to say, well, maybe Vice President Pence could say, I'm not going to recognize these six states and you guys have to go back and recount. That would have bought them a little more time legally, but it was a long shot. And uh, former Vice President Mike Pence, who was, in fact, a, an attorney who practiced law for a good decade before he ran for the House of Representatives in his home state of Indiana, he said, I'm not going to do it. And then, of course, the, you know, the, the finger pointing and the tongue wagging and uh, Mike Pence is a traitor and, you know, sold out American democracy. And a lot of people believe that. I don't I don't believe that at all. I, I believe that what John Eastman told me here on this program. That was one option. And the vice president chose not to pursue it because it looked like it was kind of a flimsy option at best. At that point, it may have worked out perfectly after the November 3rd election in 2020. But it, they time was of the essence. John Eastman wasn't brought in until December. I think they brought him in because there, there wasn't an adult in the room at that point. That's my own personal opinion. And they were down, they were out of options by January 5th. So January 6th, there were a lot of Americans who were saying, wait, someone told me this was stolen and I'm angry and I, I've got to do something. So the capital belongs to the people. So we're going to come in. Now, if you've, Epic Times has a video out on what happened on January 6th, that shows a lot of footage that's contrary to what we saw in the January 6th commission sideshow hearings, which have been going on for months, by the way, and still have not produced any criminal charges against anybody allegedly involved in this. But we do have individual American citizens who are facing jail time. Dr. Simone Gold of America's Frontline Doctors recently served a misdemeanor charge. She spent, I believe, 30 days in lockup. And the first eight days, she was in solitary confinement and the reason they put her in solitary is they wanted to give her a jab for the vaccine, and she refused. She committed a misdemeanor. She entered the Capitol building without proper permission. Another guy locally here, uh, Christian Allen Alexander Secor, entered a plea to a felony charge of disrupting an official proceeding. Uh, he made that plea with regard to what happened on January the 6th, 2021. According to uh, federal records and court documents, on the day of the election, November 3rd, Secor sent out a text message stating, we're going to win bigly, and if we don't, we're taking this ship down in flames. In preparation for the breach, he messaged another individual the day before, January 5th, 2021, stating that, quote, he bought a gas mask and brought it to Washington, so and that he wouldn't be surprised, quote, if conservatives just stormed the police and clobber Antifa and the police, but that's wishful thinking. He was carrying a large blue flag about 2 p.m. on January 6th. Uh, he was in the mob of rioters that illegally entered the restricted Capitol grounds. He subsequently climbed scaffolding to reach the Upper West Terrace of the building. At 2.26 p.m., he entered the Capitol through the Senate wing door, made his way into what is called the crypt on uh, the house side of the building, 
and then to the second floor. He walked through the office suite of the Speaker of the House. Then he moved to the East Rotunda doors. He helped a group of rioters inside the building push open the doors and let other rioters in. By 242, he entered the Senate chamber building. He entered the Senate floor, went to the Senate dais, sat on the seat that had been occupied by the vice president just 30 minutes earlier. Finally left the building at 2.51 p.m. Then he went on Twitter and boasted about what happened. He said uh, that he and others, quote, accomplished more for conservatism today than we'd seen in the last 30 years. He entered a plea deal. He is going to be sentenced on October the 7th. And for his crime, he faces up to 20 years in prison and a fine of up to a quarter million dollars. Kind of a tough road to hoe for a student at UCLA who got caught up in all the hype, got caught up in all the hoopla. Got a link for the article up at thebottomlineshow.com as we consider our votes and how we can be good citizens in the country that we live in. I think the greatest country on God's green earth, as Michael Medvin likes to say. Think about that elections have consequences, and especially for this time with newly redistricted California, how that's going to impact declarations of war, military actions, congressional spending in the House of Representatives, and uh, what our vote actually means. On the other side of this break, one of the reasons why this is not a stretch by any stretch of the imagination, on the other side of this break, um, there's still a war raging in Ukraine. The Russian invasion on February 24th of earlier this year is still going on. Vladimir Putin is still making, uh, doing more than saber rattling and uh, potentially placing the world on the doorstep of World War III. What's really going on? We hear a lot of Christians who are sympathetic to the Ukrainian cause, others who are sympathetic to the Russian cause as far as our brothers and sisters in Christ go. I don't know of too many people of anyone who actually supports Vladimir Putin. But Kyle Duncan is an author and a journalist, a publisher, and he has a personal connection to Ukraine. He's written a story about, uh, written a book about this rather, uh, some of the stories of what he has seen having traveled to Kiev uh, within two weeks of the initial bombings and paying close attention to what's going on there, not only out of his own personal interest, but because of his adopted son, who is from Ukraine. The new book is called Hope for Ukraine, Stories of Grit and Grace from the Front Lines of War. We have a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Author Kyle Duncan joins me next as The Bottom Line continues. And that's what it's all about, healing and restitution, not trying to gouge anybody for big money, but understanding what the law involves, understanding what getting the proper medical treatment at the right time involves, and looking out for your best interest for the biblical worldview. That's Stephanie Cover, the only personal injury attorney I ever recommend. Go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Cover Law for more information. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we want to give you an update as to what's happening in the battle that began back in February, but it actually probably went even, the roots even deeper between war between Russia and Ukraine and when Russian troops invaded Ukraine. Uh, it, it sent a lot of us spinning just in terms of trying to figure out, uh, you know, where our allegiances should be and knowing we have Christians on both sides of the conversation. And then you begin to look at how long this has been dragging on. And you have to ask the question, OK, well, uh, this has to be one of the most challenging seasons in life, you know, as far as this part of the world goes uh, in decades. And then when you find out that someone that, you know, actually has a personal connection to this, well, that is really a big smile on my face. Kyle Duncan is a publishing veteran, a New York Times bestselling ghostwriter. Uh, he's worked with John Wooden, Dr. Gary Chapman, Toby Mack, uh, with an English literature degree from UCLA, and and uh, currently now is working on a variety of writing projects where he lives in San Diego. Uh, but Kyle Duncan, in addition to being a husband and a father of three biological daughters, has an adopted son from Ukraine, and he's co-authored a brand new book 
called Hope for Ukraine, uh, Stories of Grit and Grace from the Front Lines of War. The book is just now out, and we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Kyle Duncan, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Roger, it's great to hear your voice again after so many years, and it's great to be here. Let me clarify. I may live in San Diego, but I'm still a Dodger fan. Okay, well, this is something we have to get up right up front here. As I have a daughter who's finishing a PhD at USC, and we come from an SC family, I, and you've got UCLA, <laughs> and you've got UCLA colors on the front of your book. Now I realize that has to do with the Ukraine flag, but you know that's that that that's not the reason why Kyle Duncan has an affinity for Ukraine, of course, obviously. But I'm and I'm glad you still keep your Dodger allegiance because, well, I'll tell you what, they look like yeah. they're they're doing great this year, and who knows if they're going to get another World Series title, but they're certainly in good shape for that. Right. Hey, let's talk about this yeah. because you and your wife had yes. three kids. You were, you know, living the life, having a great, you know, time doing what you're doing as parents. Mm -hmm. And then God led you to adopt from, and, and from Ukraine of all places. Help us understand what that experience was like. Yeah, that goes back, Roger, to about 2004. So in, in 01, my wife and I, uh, she became pregnant with a little boy. We were ecstatic, you know. We already had two girls at that point, biological daughters. And, uh, but then we found out that our son had very severe genetic uh, problems. We found that out in the womb. Um, our son, Joseph, then, uh, who had trisomy 13, which is a rare mm -hmm. genetic condition, he only lived for three days, which was terrible. And mm -hmm. so we lost him around 9-11. Uh, <clears throat> and then uh, we went on to have a third daughter, our daughter Zoe. And, um, you know, we talked about adoption, but not seriously. But then my wife, over a course of a couple nights, Roger, while she was nursing and rocking our youngest, who was a baby at the time, Zoe, um, she, she really thought she heard, you know, the small, still voice of God saying, I want you to adopt. And the first night she thought, yeah, I'm, this might just be, you know, me or whatever. But then the second night, same thing. Finally, on the third night, she said, okay, Lord, where would you want us to adopt? And he said, You're, I want you to adopt from Ukraine, and I want you to adopt a little boy. Huh. And, um, and my wife is, she's a, I would say, gener you know, g generically a prophetic person, but mm -hmm. she's not the kind of person who just walks into a room, you know, every day and goes, you know, the Lord's telling me this or that. So when she does say something like this, I take notice. And um, I resisted it, frankly. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, I've got three daughters. I'm a happy camper. Yeah, I don't need more kids, especially adoptive child. You know, an older child bringing in from a foreign country is wrought with possible problems and mm -hmm. danger. So I resisted it. Finally, the Lord got a hold of me, grabbed me by the collar and said, this is no longer an option for you. This is an assignment. And you can obey or disobey. Mm. And we all have those moments. And many times it's just us and God. And right. I, I've, I've turned away before, you know, and, and mm. no one knew, but I was disobedient. And I knew it and God knew it. And this time I said, okay, Lord, um, I'll do it. So that led us down the path of adoption. And then fast forward to July of 2007, we ended up in Ukraine. And we... Uh, made our way to the southern part of the country, to the town of Mariupol, and that's where we adopted our son, Zhenya. And he was six then, and he's 21 now. Wow. Wow. What a, uh, what a fascinating journey, and I appreciate your candor and your vulnerability, Kyle Duncan, and sharing you know, about those wrestling with God moments, because I was... <laughs> 
secretly sit, kind of sitting here going, boy, I'm really glad he's saying this and I'm not saying it because I mean, let's face it, we've all, but we've all been there. We've all been there where God, I mean, he was dug in my yeah. heart just in the, as you were sharing that about some things in my life that I really need to put on the altar that I've been holding on to it saying, nah, I put enough on the altar this week. I'm not going to put anything else up there. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> my please altar don't. quota. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It looks kind of full to me, God. I don't think we can get another thing up there. Um, but that right. now you, so you have this experience. And as you're watching things unfold there, have, have you made trips back? I mean, what kind of connection do you have with Ukraine I mean, once you and your wife adopted your son, brought him home? Right. So in 07, we met some wonderful people. Uh, we went through a Christian adoption agency in Virginia mm -hmm. called America World, and I can't speak highly enough of them. They were incredible. Nice. So their person on the ground uh, at the time, their man on the ground in Kiev was a gentleman named Yuri uh, Safanov. Um, and so, you know, he was our facilitator, red cut, you know, red tape cutter, the whole thing, and, and just made our experience uh, pretty amazing. And we saw miraculous things where, you know, if there were 50 hoops we had to jump through, and the odds were, well, you're going to be able to jump through 40, but those other 10 mm. in the material world, I don't think you're going to get through them. It's like all 50, all the dominoes fell. And he's a believer, and he said, you know, I've never seen an adoption like this. It's amazing. So the other thing I should mention, Roger, to complicate things, two weeks before we left for Ukraine, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. And we almost, we almost canceled. But we didn't because our doctor was awesome, and he said, look, not a fast-growing tumor. It's a serious cancer, but it'll be here when you get back. It's not going to endanger your life to delay treatment a couple weeks, go get your kid, come back, we'll start. I'm happy to say now my wife is, is 15 years cancer-free, mm -hmm. but it was a very stressful time, as you can imagine, um, and Yuri made it that much easier, and so we were there in 07. We, I spent about up to about a month in Mariupol, and a lot of your listeners will be familiar with that town because it really has become a symbol of Ukrainian uh, defiance and also death and destruction. I mean, they call it the, you know, Stalingrad of this mm -hmm. war, which, and you alluded to this at the beginning of the broadcast where you said, um, well, you intimated, this is the greatest conflict. This is the most serious war in Europe since World War II in eight decades. And it's mm -hmm. displaced more people. Um, well over 100,000 people have died already. The mm -hmm. estimates, though, the Russians aren't, you know, quick to, to divulge, but the estimates are that up to 80,000 Russian troops have either been killed hmm. or injured. And of course, on the Ukrainian side, it's, it's high as well. So yeah, we had not returned. I had not returned since 07. Okay. One of the reasons, Roger, is that we knew my son being native born to Ukraine, we were fearful and we've been told you have to be careful because if you go back with him before his 26th birthday, they might conscript him. Mm. So we kind of, we want to go back, but we haven't. Um, and so my first time back was when I flew to Poland in late March to research this book, to capture stories on the ground there with refugees, aid workers, orphanage workers that had fled and were in um, uh, Eastern Poland. And then I also went into Western Ukraine. And that was the first time I touched you know, place my feet on Ukrainian soil mm. in 15 years. Wow. Wow. What was the feeling like? It was overwhelming. 
<clears throat> it was um, humbling. It was, I felt, um, all I can say, and I know your audience, you know, has an affinity for where I'm coming on, coming from here. I felt the, the Holy Spirit. It was just, it was kind of a very somber moment. Um, and I really felt, I really felt, even as I sit here talking about it, it gets me kind of choked up because yeah. I felt the, the enormity and the grief and the sadness and the, and the, just the misery that Ukrainian people have been subjected to. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of discussion politically about, you know, well, who's corrupt and who's not, you know, no matter, you know, every government has corruption. The bottom right. line is this was an, in my opinion, it was an illegal invasion. Tens of thousands of civilians, women, children, babies have been killed indiscriminately through carpet bombing and, and artillery strikes indiscriminately. It's, it's horrific. Um, at the same time, Roger, when I was there, um, I thought it would take me like I, I crossed by foot and then mm-hmm. I turned around after a few hours in Western Ukraine. I walked about three kilometers, you know, away from the border into the local village. Then I walked back and I thought, oh, wait in line, you know, and people in Southern yeah. California. I don't know if some of your guests will have done that, like going into Tijuana. You can cross the right. San Isidro, you know, mm-hmm. and you sure. cross back. It takes a long time. It, well, what I thought would take about two hours took me nine hours by foot. Hmm. But wow. it was one of the most um, life-changing experiences of my life because I'm in line there, Roger, with people who were from Kharkiv. Most of these people had just gotten off an 18-hour bus ride mm. across war-torn Ukraine. Mm-hmm. At that time, too, um, around Kiev and those villages, there were still hot zones. You know, <laughs> yes, the, you, you, the first Russian you know push toward Kiev that had been. That had been thwarted and, and turned back, but the Russians are still pretty active in that area. They're not so much now, but in Kharkiv, it was under constant shelling. So you, the people I'm sitting here with in line had just spent a month in basements, you know, drinking water, suspect water, cooking over open fires, and then fled when they had been told to, putting on buses, blackout for 18 hours as they cross the country on this bus and then I meet them there, you know, and they've got like, you know, rolling suitcases and day packs on their backs and that's it. Mm-hmm. And that was incredible because some of the younger ones spoke English and I got their stories and many of the stories are in the book. But what I saw there in line was this, what I call collective effervescence. Mm-hmm. These people were helping each other. Mm-hmm. They were sharing food. They were sharing water. Every once in a while, a local um, ministry or, or another kind of ministry from either Ukraine or somebody, you know, a, an organization like YWAM would stand up and someone would start strumming a guitar and start singing worship songs in Ukrainian. And I would estimate at least half of the people in line were raising their hands and singing mm. these songs in Ukrainian. And it was... Um, I'm not a war reporter, you know, I'm not, I'm not a military analyst. Um, I'm a guy who knows how to write, you know, and who's there to to just capture stories. And I was, yeah, it undid me, man. It was was very powerful. This is such a riveting story. And uh, coming from uh, someone who's a trusted friend at that, uh, I'm so grateful that we have time today with Kyle Duncan. He is the co-author along with Esther Federkevich of, uh, I hope I pronounced that right, 
uh, of the book called Hope for, Hope for Ukraine, Stories of Grit and Grace from the Front Lines of War. Uh, we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll get into a couple more of those stories on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. And I should say before we uh, go to that break that we do have a couple of copies of this book to give away. Hope for Ukraine, Stories of Grit and Grace from the Front Lines of War by Kyle Duncan and Esther Feder, uh, Federkevich. Uh, 800-227-5278. We have three copies of the book to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And here on this Super Tuesday, as we think about the way the United States government has handled uh, Ukraine and congressional measures where there have been you know, military aid proposed and, and passed and uh, literally hundreds of billions of dollars going there, Many people have questioned whether or not that's the right thing for us as Christians to support, uh, especially in this case. Uh, I, I don't bring this to you as just a you know, way of politicizing this event, but understanding the, the severity of it, knowing that it could potentially still lead to war. This is the worst war offensive on, uh, on uh, European soil since World War II. And uh, what's happening in Ukraine uh, literally borders on the illegal and uh, Vladimir Putin seems to be out of control. So offering hope for Ukraine in a brand new book is very important. If you'd like a copy, we've got three of them to give away right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. The continuation of my conversation with Kyle Duncan coming up next as the bottom line continues. Kyle Duncan is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. This is a special conversation that we're having about a book that he is the co-author of, along with Esther Federkevich, uh, both of Esther coming from Ukraine. Kyle is a, an adoptive parent with a son uh, who has been in his family now for 15 years um, and knowing that soil very well. The book is called Hope for Ukraine, Stories of Grit and Grace from the Front Lines of War. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we will we'll be giving away a couple copies of the book. Um, Kyle, as you were describing uh, in the first segment, and then as we were talking during the break, I can't underscore enough, first of all, how difficult it is for us here in the States who are headline watchers and meme creators and that type of thing, who get our news of the world from Pew tells us half of America gets their news from social media. So, I mean, they're looking at pictures and we go to fight or flight, so we're trying to pick sides and who we're going to defend in this case. And I you know, stress to people, first and foremost, think about the body of Christ, think about our brothers and sisters. So we know that they're on, on both sides of this. But you mentioned mm -hmm. that this is the most hostile act of war in the last 80 years. I mean, literally since World War II uh, in the European Asian theater. And I want you to help us understand what our prayer life can look like, because we could very easily just get, get stuck in compassion mode and say, we're praying for ministries, we're praying for orphanages, we're praying for whatever, and that's the real thing. And we're not paying attention to the military side of it. And then the other side of it is Absolutely. we could get so hung up on the war part that we miss the compassion part. Right. And I know this is definitely a both right. and not an either or. Kind of help us get the right frame of mind for how we can be praying and supporting people in this area. Absolutely. It might, it might sound ironic that I'm about to recommend a book that I didn't write, um, but there's an old classic that you're probably familiar with, uh, Roger. It's called Reese Powell's Intercessor. Mm. And it's a book about this Welsh pastor named Reese Howells during World War II, who raised up an army of spiritual warriors um, across the, the British Isles uh, during World War II when the Luftwaffe the, came across and was, was basically trying to bomb London back and, and Great Britain back to the Stone Age. And he raised up um, a prayer 
uh, army to push back in the spirit realm against that evil of Nazism that wanted to come and invade. And after the war was over, and you can you can look this up to verify, um, many of the top RAF uh, officers and people, uh, the top brass in the Churchill government, pointed to Reese Howells and said he played as much a part in pushing back the Luftwaffe, the, the 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 you know German Air Force, as any of our airplanes did. Mm. And I I cannot underscore with enough. Um, just seriousness and, and passion in my voice to to your listeners that your prayers, every single prayer counts. And it is a very serious conflict. It is yeah. it is a devastating conflict. It has repercussions. As we all know, right now as we speak, Russia is holding hostage the largest nuclear plant in Europe. Mm. And they've placed soldiers there. Um, no matter where you get your news, um, this can be verified from across all platforms. That is happening right now. I would really encourage your listeners to pray the news. You know, go on your favorite media outlet, whatever it might be, and just, you know, go on the search engine and just put in Ukraine or Ukraine-Russia. Pray for the believers, the church in Russia, that they would rise up. Pray for revival in Ukraine despite the horror. Um, Roger, I just, I, um, I agree with you. We're all, we all get compassion fatigue, you know, and so there's a balance there, and we all have a prayer list. But I would really encourage everyone to, to do what they can, you know, in their prayer life, and then with their time, treasure, and talent. Kyle Duncan is the co-author of this outstanding new book called Hope for Ukraine. That's up at thebottomlineshow.com. And I really took to heart what you said just now, Kyle, about praying the news, because one of the things we stress here at the Bottom Line Show is what we call the ABCs: analysis, balance, and clarity. And that leads to discernment. Mm. And so. Get the information where you can. I mean, get do the analysis, but also get the balance on it too, because we, you and I both know, and you, you better than I, in terms of the, you know, the, the the media world you've been working in for the last 35 years, how you know the what bleeds leads, and so therefore it's let's take one angle of the story, one little piece of the puzzle, and keep showing that and saying, well, this is what's really going on. And one of the things I appreciate about mm -hmm. your your book, Hope for Ukraine is that you talk about the stories from the people, you talk about your personal experience, you give us a very well-rounded approach to what's going on here holistically, and you have seen, you've witnessed the miraculous, I mean, happening here. I mean, this is not just a anecdotal, gosh, please pray for this because I have an adopted son from Ukraine. I mean, you've actually seen uh, what, what's happening here. Uh, share a story if you would. We, we, we need a miracle at this point, Kyle Duncan, and we're counting on you. Yeah, to absolutely, one. right. Well, yeah, it couldn't get much closer to home for me than my own pastor to my own church. So when, when this latest um, invasion of Russia um, happened starting February 24th, my pastor, uh, shout out to Benji Horning here at, at Light Church in, in Encinitas, he, um, that following Sunday, he scrapped his message, and we just went into prayer and intercession for Ukraine. And he shared a story about... Um, an orphanage that our church and a couple other sister churches here in San Diego support outside Kiev called Father's House. And I verified it, and your listeners can give to Father's House. There's ways to do that online. But point is, 150 orphans there. Here we are. Now, now imagine, go, let's all go back in our minds seven months. We all thought Russia, the superpower, this Goliath, was just going to roll into Kiev in a couple of days. You know, right. the war was going to be over. But 
to much to our pleasant surprise, the Ukrainians pushed him back, but we didn't know that on February 24th. So here you are. If you're imagine being a worker or the or the orphanage director, you're you're just outside Kiev, and you've got 150 little souls that you're responsible for. So they're like, we got to get out of Dodge, man, and like now. So by 3 p 3 a.m. that night, they had 150 little backpacks lined up. They had each kid's blood type mm. written in Sharpie on the back of the backpack in case the worst happened and those kids needed, you know, medical attention or, or a, you know, God forbid, a, a tank shell hit their bus right. as they're trying to escape. So they load them on, off they go. So they're, they're heading, they managed to get out of, out of town safely. Um, they were, they, they could hear and see the flashes and the booms of artillery in the far distance but we're able to get out of out of Kiev. They're they're crossing a you know the nation of Ukraine. It's about 250 300 miles all the way to the Polish border. Well, they're in the middle of nowhere, and it's in the wee hours of the morning before before sunlight. And one of the buses breaks down. Mm. So they're like, "Oh my goodness, what are we going to do?" And they can still hear these the showing. Okay. And it's terrifying. These kids are scared. The orphanage workers are scared. They're under total blackout. Nobody can, the adults can't turn on their phone because it can give away their position. And they're just sitting there. And out of nowhere, seemingly, an empty bus comes trottling up the road and stops. Bus door opens. Bus driver yells out, you know, what's going on? What's happening here? Our bus broke down. We don't know what to do. We can't get a hold of another bus. He said, well, look, I've just come from the border and dropped off a load of refugees. Why don't we just put the kids on my bus and I'll drive? And they're like, they're stunned. <laughs> they're going, great, let's go. So off they go. And the, this whole story is in the book. But And, and they they literally, are, they, they try to stop halfway to the border for, for a, a, a rest stop. You know, let the kids go to the bathroom at a gas station. Suddenly, while they're doing that, two police cars come ripping down the street, Ukrainian police cars. And they can suddenly hear small arms fire. And they said, you got to get these kids on the bus right now. We're going to escort you the rest of the way because it's a hot zone. It's too dangerous. Later, they find out they, they see bullet holes in the back of the bus. Oh, so so wow. that's how close the Russians were. If these two police cars hadn't shown up, mm -hmm. the kids, God only knows what would have happened. Right, so they're right. literally seconds away. So they get the kids on the bus. They escort them all the way to the border. So jump ahead, kids get across safely, thank God. They eventually make their way to Germany to safety. So they when they once they cross, you know, they're they're like profusely thanking the bus driver. They're trying to give him money, he's refusing. Like, well, we're gonna get a hold of your bus company, we're gonna sort this out, you're gonna get paid, the company's gonna get paid. They take down all the information, they they hug the guy, God bless you, thank you. He leaves. Well, in the days that follow, Roger, they try to follow up. Mm. They try to call the guy. They can't get through. They try the number of the bus company. They can't find online the number of the company. They can't find any information on it. Nothing. It's as if the company and this mm. individual mm. don't exist. Even they, they search for him on, on the social media, social wow. apps. Nothing. nothing. As, as my pastor, Benji, Benji, says, sure, I've had people say, oh, it was just a coincidence. You know what? You call it whatever you want. All I know is that in my book, God showed up, mm -hmm. brought that bus, mm -hmm. and then warned those those workers to, to get those kids a second time out of that 
gas station back onto the bus safely across the border. Uh, not one kid was injured, and they all they all arrived arrived safely. Amazing, amazing, miraculous journey, and uh, just incredible that you. One little church in Encinitas, you know, having this connection. Exactly. Right? Of all the places, I, I never God's sovereignty never ceases to amaze me, but sometimes it comes really close. I mean, oh boy. Yeah. This is absolutely. incredible. Well, Kyle, thank you for writing the book. Thanks for the conversation. Um, how are you and your family holding up in the middle of all this? I mean, are you hopeful that it's going to be some kind of peaceful resolution, or are you anticipating that this might be just another, you know, click in that minefield that could lead to something worse yeah um prayers for peace of course um it's we've had to talk our son sort of down from hopping on a plane and, yeah. and going mm -hmm. i mean he's 21 man yeah. i mean if i was him i'd want to go fight sure you know, that, those Absolutely. are his his people but he um this is another little piece of the redemptive story roger he's actually um on the tail end of finishing up a two-year welding certification program and he's going to be a bonded certified welder mm -hmm. uh by this coming may and i said Corey, here's the deal i don't know when this war is going to be over when it's over though my vow to you is that i'm going to go with you and your services are going to your welding talent is going to come in a lot more handy than if you were holding a rifle mm. and so let just just wait and i'll go with you and we will help in the reconstruction of Ukraine and your skills as a, wel as a welder will be greatly needed. So, oh, that's beautiful. you know, I don't know when this war is going to end, Roger. I don't think anybody does know. It's in a very critical stage right now, as we all know. We're seeing Putin uh, mobilize hundreds of thousands of soldiers, and, you know, the Russians are even emptying their prisons to try to get, mm -hmm. you know, people to replenish their troops. It's a very serious time. And, Unfortunately, it's not going away anytime soon, but um, we pray the peace of Christ on Ukraine and on the Russian people, and we pray for peace. Absolutely. Amen. Uh, from Kyle Duncan, a brand new book is called Hope for Ukraine, Stories of Grit and Grace from the Front Lines of War. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Kyle, thank you for the edification uh, that you've shared with us, the exhortation, and also the encouragement to, uh, to help us to continue to pray the news as you encouraged us to do. And hey, Kyle, thank you for the work that you've done on this. Thank you for your time today and sharing with us. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you, Roger. It's my pleasure. God bless. God bless you too, brother. It's great work that you're doing. And this is an outstanding book. And that's why I'm so grateful. We have three copies of it to give away. Not one, not two, but three. 800-227-5278, can't see through the glass if that's Crystal or Teresa answering the phones. But either way, you're going to get great service when you call us. And we, these books are outstanding. The stories are just so riveting. And to hear Kyle's firsthand account of what has happened in Ukraine, what continues to happen, and a, a pretty holistic approach to the way the church can respond to this. I, I really appreciate what he's doing there. 800-227-5278. We've got three copies of the book, Hope for Ukraine, Stories of Grit and Grace from the Front Lines of War, up for grabs. Love to put one in your hands right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Want to continue receiving income into retirement with little market risk? Dennis Wilson and Wilson Financial Services can help you secure a permanent income and benefits addressing your risk tolerance with professional advisory knowledge. 
you have a large 401k or IRA as your retirement nest egg. How about a four-dimensional plan that will pay you and your spouse income for life without stock market risk? How about we include inflation benefits so your income goes up annually? How about we include extra income benefits for long-term care and if you need one or both, you both have it? That's right, permanent income inflation benefits, long-term care benefits with no market risk. We have put over $50 million of our clients' money in the 4D account in the last few years. These clients are sleeping way better at night. Learn more when you call Wilson Financial today at 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to Kyle Duncan, the author of the brand new book, well, the co-author of the brand new book called Hope for Ukraine. Stories of Grit and Grace from the Front Lines of War. <clears throat> Got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Co-authored with Esther Fedorkovic, Feder- excuse me, um, telling the stories of people who are, are surviving this, people who wound up paying the ultimate price in this battle, and the number of the, the hundreds of thousands of people who have died in the uh, war between uh, Russia, their advance on Ukraine, and the Ukrainians fighting back. Uh, it's a very, very encouraging story. And, of course, Kyle's son, is adopted from Ukraine, and uh, he ha- has been there, uh, was there within weeks of the uh, uh, the first bombs being dropped, and, and tells some pretty remarkable stories of courage uh, there, uh, regardless of which side of the aisle you are on here. Now, I mean, obviously, I, what a, I remember I was talking with Dr. Jim Dennison on the eve of this happening, and Jim was talking about church histories for both sides, et cetera, et cetera. And we had a couple of listeners actually write into us and say, wait, wait, are you supporting Vladimir Putin? There's nothing to support Vladimir Putin in, in this Russian-Ukrainian uh, challenge. Nothing, not not one bit. So, you know, please, please hear that loud and clear. Having said that, taking a look at, you know, who's involved here, and we understand there are Russian soldiers who are people of faith, who got forced into this, roped into this. There are, are Russian citizens, of course who, uh, against their will, were forced to fight against the Ukrainian uh, force and a group of people that they didn't want to fight against. As Christians, I think it's wise for us to, I'm I mean, to borrow this phrase from Kyle and give him full uh, credit for it, and that's pray the news. And oftentimes, if you go to thebottomlineshow.com, you'll see that I've done a a story on something or whatever. And when Tamara goes to post it, I'll put a little note in saying, you know, this is something about sanctity of life, or this is something about, uh, you know, a God and country religious liberty issue. But oftentimes I'll just flat out put prayers needed. And this is one of those areas where we, we should be and, and need to be in prayer. Uh, the story involving Russia's attack of Ukraine, you know, led a lot of people to go in a whole different direction with it with regard to what about the Ukrainian history and what about the Biden's history? What about Burisma? And and there's so many different subplots that are all worth pursuing, I honestly believe. But what's the old expression? It's important to keep the main thing the main thing. And for us as believers, let's take a look at what God is doing and ask the question is, you know, how close are we to end time events, Armageddon, things of that nature? And what role does who play in what? Now, we, we've covered extensively here on the Bottom Line Show, uh, teachings from Dr. Michael Youssef and others with regard to Russia's role in end time and the Gog and Magog connection and, and the attacks directly on Israel. This is not a direct end times attack per se, but it does kind of, you know, give us a dry run, if you will, a dress rehearsal for what it will be like. 
when Russian troops are mobilized in an unprovoked attack winds up happening. We can call it illegal all day long. It doesn't change what the scope would potentially be. And in the same way, in my conversation a couple of weeks ago with one of my guests whose name is eluding me right now, uh, we were discussing how the pandemic turned out to be a bit of a dress rehearsal, if you will, for uh, overreaching government control, uh, government intrusiveness, and what would potentially happen in a scenario with a one world government. Look at the way our economy is teetering right now. Many people marveled as recently as two years ago that once the pandemic was declared globally in March of 2020, no one was sure what would happen in different nations unless governments got involved. And so in the short term, the U.S. government started pumping billions, trillions of dollars into the economy. And what they were pumping into the economy, basically, you know, it, this is the uh, C.S. Lewis line, six pence down the richer, right? You know, if if you have that money, but you got it from your parents, then and you use it to buy something for your parents, then you're really not, it's not wealth. It's someone just put some money in your hand and you used it for that purpose. And that's kind of where our economy has been right now. Now that we're starting to want to see what the economy can do on its own, we realize that, uh, I mean, I've, I've been reading many articles even just the past couple of hours with regard to the local uh, Federal Reserve chairmen, so one in Atlanta, one in Texas, who are saying we have to do a bit of easing of the employment figure to lessen demand to try to lower prices. And I thought, well, what does that mean? Well, apparently what that means is world leaders right now are determining or doing their level best to determine how do we stop the increasing prices that we're seeing? Well, if you are slowing the supply right now and the supply chain is uh, badly hindered and prices are going up, there's only one way you can potentially slow that whole cycle down. And that is to lessen the employment burden, as one Federal Reserve director indicated. That means put people out of work. Lessen your buying power. We'll lower demand by putting people back on the dole. These are the forces that are at hand that are also making decisions as to whether or not to pump up the Ukrainian government. At what expense? Well, if they want to keep adding debt to the pile, then $80 billion for Ukraine is no big deal because we'll just print that much more money for federal programs here at home. But what happens when those same elected government officials are working to, you know, make those decisions kind of at the stroke of a pen. The fate of the citizens, all 335 million citizens of the United States of America, lies in the hands of 435 members of the House and 100 members of the Senate and the president. Uh, there was recently a, a junior State of America meeting in Costa Mesa where young people, JSA, uh, the largest student-run organization in the country, uh, with student leaders on every level, uh, they got together, and that was one of the big topics that they discussed. How do we stop the divisiveness in the culture? How can we have differences of opinion, politically, religiously, relationally, without dividing us even further? And uh, I bless their heart for having these conversations, but I'll tell you, these are not easy dialogues to discuss. Well, Lord, we come before you in prayer, asking for your guidance with regard to Ukraine, the leadership in Russia, the leadership in the U.S., and all world leaders. We're grateful for the faith of Kyle Duncan and his obedience to follow through all those years ago with an adoption 
of a young son that they have now have in their home and and with the ties there and thinking about how one man in one church in Encinitas um, has a connection with an orphanage that's doing work there are hundreds of groups that are doing relief work there but father we pray that we would watch this with one eye on what's happening around us and how elections and other things can impact that kind of decision making but also that we would also have an eternal perspective on what you are uh, providing us with the glimpses of what does the foretaste of the feast to come we ask all these things in jesus precious and powerful name amen okay let's take a quick break before we do a reminder yet again we've got three copies of kyle duncan's book hope for ukraine stories of grit and grace from the front lines of war to give away right now 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, wrapping up a powerful hour of conversation uh, featuring Kyle Duncan, the co-author of a brand new book called Hope for Ukraine, Stories of Grit and Grace from the Front Lines of War. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and a couple of copies of the book left to give away, 800-227-5278. Crystal, taking your calls today. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we think about our elections and we think about the world that we're living in right now, and it's on the Super Tuesday, of course, we think about them a lot more than perhaps we do at other times of year. I'm reminded of the fact that one of the beautiful things about the United States of America is the fact that we have a representative government you know, of and for and by the people. And that in spite of the fact that we have made some serious mistakes and grievous miscalculations as a nation. We always have the ability to course correct. And in many times over the years, we have. But I do honestly believe God's hand of providence is on this nation. And of course, when I'm talking about this nation, I'm talking about the America that was founded 246 years ago, as opposed to people say, well, what about the history of all of North America? And there was a lot of uh, savagery and other things that happened here in this country before this country actually became a nation. But once we came together as a people, we had a golden opportunity to show the world what a God-fearing nation looked like. And we started off with kind of a whimper, but more often than not, we, we are coming up to that point now where we do, in fact. Um, you know, I think we, we win more than we lose in that category. Toward that end, one of the key issues, of course, is voting. And I encourage you, if you have not registered to vote yet, that you would register to vote. Uh, we're a little voting heavy right now with regard to um the content here on the bottom line show and then that there's a reason for that there are a lot of issues that need to be addressed and that we the people have the power to actually do something about this as a matter of fact um we one of the big issues is the sanctity of human life which we talked a lot about yesterday with california's proposition one uh, the 40 days for life campaign is getting underway tomorrow and for the next 40 days leading up to the election there will be christians and people who support the pro-life community all across the nation all over the world literally uh, praying in front of abortion clinics, offering to adopt children, uh, to let women know. That's, I think, the key story for me this year is that adoption has been such a well-kept secret, uh, literally hiding in plain sight, that a lot of women who get abortions don't know that adoption is an option for them. So go to 40daysforlife.org for more information, the number 40, and then daysforlife.org, and find out where you can volunteer for a 40 Days for Life campaign uh, opportunity to be a prayer warrior and uh, to save lives. And also remember coming up starting on Monday, uh, our friends at Preborn are gonna be part of the effort here on the bottom line, getting an ultrasound machine put in and also taking your donations as well. Coming up, another look at Roger's recommendations. That's on the other side of this break because the bottom line continues.
Wow, there's that tone. Wow. <laughs> the great sounds of our brother in Christ, Larry Carlson, playing with Steely Dan today here on the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and I love the fact that when they went on the road, and uh, that's arguably one of the best pop music, jazz fusion solos ever recorded, uh, Larry remembers the time he heard the song on the radio, found out he was going to get paid for the session, which was great. It was eight months after he'd recorded it. And uh, they did a 50th anniversary, I believe, of uh, Royal Scammer. They were coming up on that. And they wanted Larry to go on the road with him. And he said, I had to sit down and learn my own solo again. <laughs> I thought, how many times do we do that? I mean, we as people, not that we can play like Larry Carlton. How many times do we, uh, we accomplish something? It just happens in that moment. And then we don't really realize what we did until at some point someone brings it up and says, oh, remember that time you did this? And whether it was... Uh, uh, something you did that was positive or negative. And I think one of the things that keeps me humble in my walk with the Lord is the knowledge that at some point, everything that we've ever done, everything that we've ever said, every word we've ever spoken, every thought we've ever had and not taken captive uh, or taken captive, uh, we're going to be responsible for it. We're going to be accountable for it. And I just hope there's enough grace and mercy for the times when I haven't been gracious and merciful, and I believe there is by the blood of Jesus Christ, to forgive those sins. But I also realized, too, there are times when you'll have a thought or a word or, you know, come to you and it may not seem pleasant to you at the time, but you realize it was actually very gracious what you thought or did or said. And, you know, toward that end, whenever I see campaign advertising, it just frustrates me to no end to see the just the, the false accusations that are made on behalf of trying to actually win an election. And no place do you find it more egregious than in the propositions. I was uh, listening to an ad yesterday on my way into the studio uh, comparing Prop 26 and Prop 27 here in the People's Republic of California. And I remember pounding the steering wheel. They were talking about why this woman encouraged a no vote on Prop 27. And I remember pounding my steering wheel and saying, yes, good for you for saying that. Not that I was agreeing with her. I mean, I do in my recommendations. I don't think Prop 27 is a good thing to vote for. But it was... It, probably the first time in a 30 second ad I ever heard anyone tell the truth about what's going on. So for the next half hour here on Super Tuesday here on the Bottom Line Show, I'd like to read with you uh, my proposition recommendations. Uh, the California midterm Rogers recommendations are up at the bottomlineshow.com. And I encourage you to check them out as part of an arsenal, part of an analysis, balance and clarity. Get as many different resources as you can. But I can think of adding Rogers recommendations to Election Forum from Craig Huey, electionforum.org, iVoterGuide.com uh, from my voter guide. That's a Christian uh, organization that's nationwide. Election Forum does a lot of great work here in California and other states. Uh, they're based in Tennessee now, I believe, but uh, they, they do tremendous work in terms of those judicial races and city councils and things like that. And then, of course, there's My Faith Votes, the uh, brainchild of Celie Yates, and now his son Jason is the CEO of MyFaithVotes.org another nation, nationally recognized nationwide initiative, mobilizing Christians to get out and vote, to register to vote and then to vote. Every time I hear Jason, he was on with us a couple weeks ago, every time I, I have that conversation with him and I hear him say the words, 25 million Christians who are eligible to vote either register and don't vote or don't register at all. And brothers and sisters, I know you may have your opinion of the political world, you may believe that the corruption is just irreparable, but nonetheless, may I encourage you to cast that vote on November the 8th. And, and 
course, you can cast it early. Everyone's voting by mail, it seems like. So uh, if you do have that desire to do so. And here's where we could really have an impact. Gavin Newsom is running for re-election in California. My hunch is he is actually going to get that nod. As a matter of fact, he's acting like a governor who's going to be around. Um, there was a yet another signing that happened earlier today with regard to uh, the fact that Governor Newsom uh, signed another piece of, uh, well, this and this is unfortunate because I got this from the office of the uh, California State Assemblywoman, uh, Cotty Petri Norris, who uh, serves Costa Mesa. Uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom is facing a uh, just an onslaught of bills before the end of the fiscal year, September 30th, this uh, this Friday. He is um, he has something along the lines of 550 different bills to consider. And one of those bills, he'd have to sign 110 bills per day to either sign or veto the bills. The third option, I believe, is he can leave them unsigned and let them go into effect without offering you know to do whatever he's doing. But one of the bills that he did sign is California Assembly Bill 1918. Now, basically what this says is it's designed to boost and diversify the medical workforce. Okay, Um, here's what it actually does. It's called the Reproductive Health Service Corps Bill. Advocates are thanking the governor for signing AB 1918 to support and expand reproductive health care workforce. The bill creates another level of government bureaucracy called the California Reproductive Health Service Corps, which will be responsible for recruiting, training, and retaining a culturally and linguistically diverse workforce of healthcare professionals. And they keep saying healthcare, 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 healthcare. They are part of the healthcare teams that are assigned to work in underserved areas across the state. Do you know what their goal is? The goal is to increase the number of abortions in California. And so the Reproductive Health Service Corps will go out with the express purpose of finding women who are sexually active, encouraging them to get, quote unquote, contraception. And then when the contraception doesn't work, saying, well, here's where you can kill your child. Now, you might be saying, come on, Roger, that's that. Come on. I mean, that's not. That's not what this is about. This is all about getting women access to health care. It's all about diversifying. It's all about reaching different underserved groups, which is code for, hey, we're white politicians and you Hispanic people and African-American people don't know where to kill your kid. So let us help you underserved. It's insulting. But here is the whole goal of this AB 1918. The creation of the California Reproductive Health Service Corps Act to boost and diversify the medical workforce. As it stands right now, according to Assemblywoman Petrie Norris, there are 46,000 women who will come to the Golden State each year to have an abortion. The reason they will do so, well, that's up to you. They may live in a neighboring state that doesn't have a lot of abortion clinics, number one. Number two, They may come to California because, oh, I don't know, a lot of people come to California to give birth. Birth tourism is a huge business. Coming up from Central and South America, you're pregnant, you stop into San Diego, and boom, deliver the child, instant citizenship, here come the benefits. That's a thing. I mean, I realize there are people who come here and that's their story, 
But for others, that's their thing. There are coyotes, if you will, who will run these people across the border to get them citizenship so they can pick up benefits. But you may not have known because the People's Republic of California is pretty closed-lipped about the abortion world. They're not quick to point out how many abortions are actually performed in the People's Republic, just that California, we know anecdotally, performs more abortions than any other state in the union. But did you know that the number of abortions performed on women, and they say on patients, can we just be honest here? They have never performed an abortion on a man, full stop. The only people who get abortions are women and girls, women. So when Assemblywoman Petrie Norris beams in her uh, press release that California could see an out-of-state, uh, an increase in out-of-state patients for abortion, just women, please. Currently, there are 46,000 women on average each year who travel to California for the sole express purpose of having abortions. Now, that's good business because they're coming in here and they're buying gasoline here and they're buying food here and they're putting up, you know, getting lodging here. And it's good for the California economy. So Governor Newsom has been not shy one bit in expressing his interest in actually generating more clients. Well, how about $20 million more activity, courtesy of California Assemblywoman uh, Petrie Norris, $20 million more in the state budget to fund what they call, and these are the terms, targeted recruitment and retention resources and training programs for healthcare providers that serve patients at reproductive healthcare providing provider locations that will complement this legislation. In other words, we're going to spend 20 million bucks to hire more people to go find women in the minority communities. We're going to do targeted recruitment and retention resources. We want them to get all their birth control here. We want them to get their pap smears here. And again, pap smears are a good thing, but you can get a pap smear at any OBGYN office. You can get it at any federally qualified healthcare clinic. You don't have to go to an abortion clinic to get it. And then training programs for healthcare providers who serve patients at reproductive healthcare provider locations. In other words, they're going to train more workers to perform abortions on the abortion victims that they're going out to recruit. 20 million of your tax dollars, Californians, are going to this program. AB 1918 is part of a package of 13 bills written by the California Legislative Women's Caucus addressing, and I'm quoting them here, the nationwide threat to women's reproductive rights in accordance with recommendations from, recommendations from the Future of Abortion Council. Now, please notice how they just flow easily back and forth between reproductive rights and contraception and abortion. The only threats to women's reproductive rights are that states would make it illegal to abort children. Part of reproduction is contraception, and quite frankly, if contraception works, abortion doesn't even become an issue. But 20 million bucks to target more people in underserved areas to come to California and abort your kid. The number of out-of-state patients last year, 46,000. What Governor Newsom is hoping is that once the this bill is passed, which it is, and he signed it into law, that California could see, are you ready for this? Nearly 1.4 million new women 
coming to California each year to abort their children. That's a 3,000% increase. It's shocking. It's disgusting. But there could be a silver lining. What is that silver lining, you ask? I'll tell you on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Let Wilson Financial Services help you identify proprietary financial strategies for your wealth that work for your life. Let's revisit our one-year CD. Had a client who had $500,000 of retained earnings in his corporation for the last three years. I said, if you'd have put that into this account three years ago, you'd have seventy-five dollars to $100,000 of interest versus what you have now, which is a nice round number. Had a client sell his house, had 450000 in the bank. I told him, if you're really not likely to buy a house in the next 12 months, you want to leave this in the bank earning nothing? Or would you like to earn some interest on it over the next 12 months? So he said, how much? I said, well, how about between twenty and 30000 He says, zero versus twenty or 30000 Yeah, he says, I like the twenty or 30000 Sounds better. Aren't you tired of earning nothing with all the money you have in the bank? Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Boy, lots of good Stevie Ray cuts today here on the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Listen to that sustain. Uh, we, we've got the propositions to look at here, and I mentioned before the break that uh, one of the biggest propositions that we have to work to fight against is Proposition 1, which would enshrine uh, the right to reproductive freedom. In other words, it would enshrine abortion into California's constitution for all time. Uh, California AB 1918 signed into law earlier today by Governor Newsom, uh, earmarks $20 million to the fight to re recruit and retain uh, people to work in abortion clinics, to maybe staff up more on abortion clinics, and to spend $20 million trying to attract over a million more people, women and their families, to come to California for the sole purpose of abortion. Now, I said there was a silver lining to this bill, and the silver lining is 40 Days for Life starts tomorrow, and if more people are coming with the express purpose of having an abortion performed, it does give us in the pro-life community more opportunities, way more opportunities to preach the gospel and to show that there is a third option, and that is adoption. Abortion is an option. It's a legal option in many states. Of course, childbirth is uh, our preference, but birthing the child and then delivering or that child to an ad adoptive family is phenomenal so you know what what men intend for evil god can use for good and please lord let that happen hey, i want to talk about the differences between prop, prop 26 and prop 27 because they both sound similar one is called the legalized sports betting on american indian lands initiative the other is called the legalized sports betting and revenue for homeless prevention fund one of them has a bit more honest name, and that's the first one. A yes vote on Prop 26 results in the legalization of sports betting at American Indian gaming casinos at licensed racetracks in California. It also taxes profits derived from the sports betting at racetracks at a rate of 10%, and then it legalizes roulette and dice games at tribal casinos. All for the purpose of, you know, generating money, not only for the state, but also for the tribes. A no vote basically says you still will carry on the way we were. Now, Prop 26 legalizes sports gambling at the Indian casinos. And this is one of the things that could potentially, I mean, think about it, be a financial boon for Native Americans living in California. Um, the parameters are everybody who wants to bet, just like any other casino, you got to be 21 years of age. Um, and it's not like sports betting doesn't happen 
in other states? Matter of fact, there are currently 30 states in the U.S., along with the District of Columbia, that allow sports gambling. What is interesting and I think somewhat encouraging about Prop 26 is the fact that it does uh, make this a ballot initiative so that we, the people, get to vote on whether or not we want this. Uh, there are only five states total that did this as a ballot measure. The other 25 plus D.C., their legislatures just went ahead and said, we're going to approve it. Now, what's interesting about Prop 26 is that this is a hotly contested issue. How hotly contested, you ask? How about over $125 million has been spent waging war in this campaign? And the majority of comes from people who think they want it passed. Here's how it works. If it does pass, Prop 26 puts that 10% tax on earnings by casinos. 15% of that money would be given to the California Bureau of Gambling Control for enforcing control over sports gambling. 15% goes to the California Department of Public Health because this is, and this is the progressive part. You can gamble, but we have to set up a separate uh, fund. So if you have a problem with gambling, we can treat you with classes and education. Yeah, that's that's, that's kind of like the whole, you know, uh, Philip Morris uh, doesn't admit any guilt. They pay a $300 billion fine for getting people addicted to cigarettes and vaping things and then killing them with cancer. But as long as they put money in a stop smoking program, we're going to let them keep selling cigarettes. By the way, of that uh, 10% tax, the remaining 70%, the, the 15% goes to uh, the California Bureau of Gambling Control for enforcing that bureaucracy. Uh, 15% goes to California Par Department of Public Health to create and maintain programs for those with gambling addictions. The other 70% goes to the California State General Fund, but that still leaves 90% to stay with the casinos. And an overwhelming majority of tribal communities actually support this measure. Now, the first ads you saw were probably for the next one we're going to talk about, Prop 27. And that's where they showed a guy, you know, in tribal dress saying, uh, I'm a Native American chief and we support Prop 27. But Prop 26 on the surface, it's called the Legalized Sports Betting on American Indian Lands Initiative. Seems to be a fairly safe bet, if you will, for passage. Now, I'm recommending a no vote on Prop 26 for one reason and one reason only, and that's I don't like gambling. I, I don't want to encourage that. doesn't mean I haven't played the lotto on occasion, but I remember back to the mid-1980s, I think it was 85 or 86, where we were told that if you bought a scratcher, all uh, you know, the, the money was going to help keep the arts programs in public schools. We wouldn't spend a penny on teachers' salaries and pensions. And then what happened? Within a few years, every penny that the state gets from the California lottery outside of administrative costs and the prize money, of course, goes to paying teachers' salaries and pensions, doesn't go into saving all the programs that they told us it would, so basically we were lied to. Prop 26 is about American Indian communities, and you know if, if you support them and want to support that passage, I would wholeheartedly say yes. I'm recommending a no vote on Prop 26 because I don't want to support gambling initiatives. So that's, that's where that sits. But with regard to Prop 26 and Prop 27, it seems like Prop 27 has made themselves out to be a pretty sexy campaign, and Prop 26 looks boring. As a matter of fact, a lot of the yes on 27 people are saying, hey, don't vote yes on 26, vote yes on 27 and no on 26, because we think it's a better deal. And it's got the better name, too. The Legalized Sports Betting and Revenue for Homelessness Prevention Fund, that initiative, boy, that's going to get a lot of people's attention, right? 
but does it actually deliver the goods? On the other side of this break, we will look at the comparisons to these two and find out which, in fact, would be the better option. By the way, congratulations to Lorraine from Newport Beach and Maria from Sacramento, uh, two winners today for our book, Hope for Ukraine, Stories of Grit and Grace from the Front Lines of War, uh, written by our guest from earlier today in the program, Kyle Duncan. Uh, we've got a link for that uh, book at thebottomlineshow.com. And if you missed any part of the interview, go back to thebottomlineshow.com uh, or you go to our podcast page and listen to it in its entirety. It's a, it's a riveting conversation. Let's get back at Prop 27 on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Newport Bay Mortgage will steer you in the right direction toward the truth about reverse mortgages. Owner Cliff enjoys educating every client and wants to debunk the misconceptions you may have heard. You'll see that an FHA-approved reverse mortgage gives you financial freedom. You can use it to pay bills, cover unexpected expenses, or watch your children and grandchildren enjoy themselves while you're still alive. Cliff informs you of the facts. Drawing from his 40 years of reverse mortgage experience, you must be 62 years or older for the FHA program and at least 55 for a conventional high-volume program. It doesn't affect any credit score points and can even be refinanced after one year. When considering ways to enjoy your liquidity in, before, or for retirement, you need Newport Bay Mortgage. Contact Cliff today. Visit kbrightradio.com slash reverse. That's kbrightradio.com slash reverse or 714-741-8080. NMLS 332959. Newport Bay Mortgage, an equal opportunity housing lender. For most reverse mortgages, you need to be at least 62 years of age to participate. But Cliff has a program that allows you to get in on this when you're 55. Now, what is the advantage of a reverse mortgage? How about leaving a legacy for your kids? Well, how about living a legacy right now? Call Newport Bay Mortgage at 714-741-8080 or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash reverse. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're doing a little comparison shopping here. The difference between Prop 26 on the California ballot and Prop 27. Prop 26, the legalized sports betting on American Indian lands initiative basically allows American Indian gaming casinos at licensed racetracks and also to have betting on those sports there. It also legalizes uh, roulette and dice games at those tribal casinos. And the tax profits derived from the sports betting uh, is taxed at 10%, which goes to a couple of state programs. But the other 90% stays with the Native American tribes. Uh, 30 other states allow you to bet on sports, so California's a little late to the dance on that one. I recommend a no vote on Prop 26 because I don't like to encourage gambling initiatives, but I can completely understand why somebody who has a heart for the Native American community would say, hey, this is a good thing, and 90% of the proceeds stays with these tribes. Like 50-plus tribes are all pushing for this, so um, if that is your issue, then knock yourself out. Prop 27, though, is a little more disingenuous or a little less ingenuous, I guess. The legalized sports betting and revenue for homelessness prevention fund. A yes vote on Prop 27 supports legalizing online and mobile sports betting for anyone age 21 or older. It also establishes regulations for the mobile sports betting industry, puts a 10% tax on sports betting revenues and licensing fees. Those monies would be allocated for programs to help the homeless, as well as to be placed into a fund for tribes who choose not to operate in sports betting. A no vote says no more sports betting and mobile stuff uh they they sound familiar here's the exception the fact that prop 27 says we are going to provide solutions for homelessness 
According to Ballotpedia, quoting him here, Prop 27 proposes a constitutional amendment and statute to authorize a gaming tribe and online sports betting platform with an operating agreement with a gaming tribe or a qualified gaming company with a market access agreement with a gaming tribe may operate online sports betting for individuals 21 years of age and older in the state, but outside of Indian lands. The amendment would prohibit online sports betting on youth sports. The real selling point for Prop 27 is the fact that 85% of the fund's revenues are going to a, a group called California Solutions to Homelessness and Mental Health Support and a special account for permanent and long-term housing. Now, I'm not a big fan of those programs, not because I don't think it's a good idea, but typically you spend way too much money to get like five houses built. Well, keep in mind, though, that here's the deal. This proposed law would create the Division of Online Sports Betting Control within the Justice Department. Yeah, more government red tape. There would be regulatory costs. Yeah, they're going to get 85% of the proceeds, but only after a couple of government agencies have been created. And then they've got to be run and they've got to be staffed. And that's going to cut into the major profits. And you're not going to see a lot of this money actually going to the homeless, number one. Number two, back to the ad I heard. It was a mom saying, look, if Prop 27 passes, then online gaming will be the name of the game. These tribes that are going to allow their gambling status to run a casino will then sub-license that to an online gaming company and poof an online sports betting platform with an operating agreement to a gaming tribe would be able to run legalized betting and all that whole thing about well it's only for people who are 21 and older yeah sure it is try to enforce that on a phone remember when facebook went public and it used to be only for college students. And then you basically had to say, I promise that I'm at least 13 years of age. I think MySpace had the same contingency. Oh, sure. Everyone's going Are you kidding me? How much control over their phone are they going to take to ensure that you're 21 or older? A bet to bet. Give your parents credit card or whatever you need to justify what you're doing. Create a fake online ID and poof. This is going to be worse than Richie and Potsy trying to go to the bar on happy days. I mean, it's ridiculous. And kind of ironic that when Ricky did get it, Richie did get in and he had the shots of tequila or whatever he was drinking, they were in teeny weeny glasses, only 72 of them. This is Prop 27. Property 27. Prop 27 is not only a no, it's a hack no for me. There's too many ways that you can take advantage of Prop 27 and lead people down the path of destruction in ways that just aren't right. And the fact that they're hiding behind the banner of homelessness relief to get it, not working for me. All of Roger's recommendations are up at thebottomlineshow.com. Make sure you're registered to vote and make sure you get out to vote on or before November 8th, but only vote once. That's the bottom line.